You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. There are as many ideas about who Jesus was as there are people on earth. Fortunately for us, the Gospel of John tells us in his own words who Jesus said he was. Jesus said he was the bread of life, the light of the world, door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the true vine. Jesus says, I am. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want you to know that if you ever have a prayer need, if you need encouragement, if you want someone to just listen to you, our staff is here for you. Uh, We care about you, and we like to say that we're one big family. And so you feel free to reach out to us anytime. Recently, I came up on an app called We Croak. I thought that was an odd name. And then I found out that what it does is it sends you five daily reminders that we're going to die. Messages such as, don't forget, you're going to die. Or death smiles at us all and all we can do is smile back. And the whole point of the app is for us to embrace death. And many times we stress out about small things and they're saying, hey, just remember that we only have so long to live. Now I'm not endorsing this app by any means. But I do think it's interesting, in our culture, we don't like that word death. We don't like to think about it, we don't like to talk about it. We actually come up with other words for it instead of the word death. We like to say the person deceased, we like to say the person retired, they went to be with the Lord. Uh, we, we like to say they graduated to heaven. We, we will do anything but use that word death. Many people are afraid to die. And some of you, maybe you're not afraid to die, but you're afraid about what happens when you die. I know many times I've had the privilege over the years of ministering to someone before they die. And they said, you know, I'm excited to be in the presence of God. I just want to know what happens in between. I want to know that process. And so we'll talk about what that looks like. But then I'll tell them, you know, I don't have firsthand experience. I don't know exactly what that looks like. And I think for all of us, to a certain degree, death is a little puzzling. It's a little hard to understand. I remember many years ago, my father-in-law passed away. And my kids were small, my boys were small, and we were trying to help our kids understand death. And we talked about how Grandpa was sick, and eventually he died, and they put him in a box, and he's in the ground. And we, uh, they, they both, or they all had some questions. But then I remember one of the boys, you could just tell his, his little mind was just, uh, it, it was just running. And eventually he says, Dad, how does Grandpa breathe when he's in that box in the ground? And I looked at my wife and, and I said, well, son, just like any good, good father does, I said, you know, your mom has a really great answer for that. I think for many of us, we we struggle with death. We struggle processing what it looks like. 
And when we think about death, often uh, we associate death with pain because we grieve. When our loved ones die, we grieve, we hurt. And so often when we think about death, we, uh, we think about that pain that comes with that. And the reason why we grieve is because we love. We love the people in our life. And when they, are, when they die and they're taken away, it hurts. And there's agony that goes with that. And it's not easy. And, and grief is messy and it's hard. And so we grieve because we love. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't like to talk about death. Well, we don't like to talk about death because we've experienced pain. And it's hard for us to think about our own lives, what, uh, what that's going to look like when we die. We've been in a series called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And we've talked about how Jesus has described Himself in several different ways, from I am the bread of life, I am the light. We've talked about how I am the door. And today we're going to talk about how He says I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to talk a little bit about death today, and we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. Now, this is a familiar story for many of you. And Jesus has some friends, Mary and Martha and his friend Lazarus. And Jesus has visited their house many times. They live in Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Lazarus is sick. He's very sick kind of picture like him being in ICU. He's got all of the machines hooked up to him. And the doctors come to Mary and Martha and they basically say, hey, your brother's not going to make it. You need to call in family and friends. And so what do they do? They call Jesus. They send word for Jesus to come. Say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Your friend Lazarus is sick. You need to come. And you would expect for Jesus to drop everything that he's doing to go see his friend Lazarus. I mean, that's what many of us would do when we hear a family member or a friend is sick and we know that it could be their last hours. We try everything that we can to go see them in the hospital or at their home or in hospice. But when Jesus hears the news, he actually doesn't rush off. He waits. And, and we know he waits not because he doesn't love. Because we see in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha, Martha her sister, and Lazarus. And in verse 11, we see that Jesus called Lazarus his friend. In verse 35, it says Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. So he doesn't wait just because, because he doesn't love him. He loves him very much. And, and, and it's, so why does Jesus wait? Well, why is he delayed on, on coming to see his friend Lazarus? Well, verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard about, what, or about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. If you skip to verse 14, he says this. So he told them, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe and come, and come, let's go see him. The death of Lazarus was an opportunity for Jesus to show his divine power, to show his glory so that all might believe. Mary, Martha, Lazarus himself might see the power and the glory of God, to see who Jesus really was. In this story, we're going to see that Jesus reveals who he is, that he delayed because there was something bigger in store. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days by this time, by the time that Jesus got there, and, and Martha comes running out to him. 
to meet him. I, I picture her having tears just running down her face. I mean, she's mourning, she's weeping, her brother has died. Verse 21, it says that Martha says, Lord, only if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. You see Martha's faith here. She's like, God, or she says, Jesus, I know that you could have healed him. You can do anything. But we also see that it's a little bit misguided. Just because Jesus has the power to heal anyone doesn't mean that he's always going to do that. And it also doesn't mean that he has to be in their presence to, for healing to take place. We've seen that Jesus can heal whether he's in their presence or not. In the midst of grief, we have a lot of if-onlys. Martha had them. Mary had them in this story. I think we have them. If only, I, if only this would have happened. Or if only that would have happened. Or if I would have said this. Or if I would have done that. Or if they would have done this. Or if they would have done that. Martha says, if only you would have been here, my brother would still be here. I think many of us in grief, we've wrestled with that. We've, had, we've tossed and turned in the middle of the night thinking about the if only, so what could have happened. But notice Jesus' first words at Bethany. He says, your brother will rise again. And he gives words of hope and comfort. And Martha responds, like any good first century Jew, and follower of Christ, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. First century Jews believe in the resurrection, or at least most Jews, the ones who followed the Pharisees' uh, teaching. You might remember the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Martha believes in the resurrection. Uh, her brother is dead and in the grave, but she believes in the future there'll be a bodily resurrection of all who have died. Uh, she knows this from, from the scriptures. But did you notice that Jesus isn't content with her answers? She believes in a general resurrection, a resurrection that will take place in the future. And Jesus moves her from a general resurrection to him, who alone can provide resurrection. Verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this Martha? Jesus is telling Martha, I'm not just the one who speaks and points to the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I'm the divine author of life. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the fountain of life. Life begins through me. And Martha says, yes, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. We see this beautiful confession right in the midst of this story. If you fast forward in the story, Jesus will raise Lazarus back to life. He's been in the grave for four days. His body is decaying. If you look at the King James Version, it says he stinketh. And, but Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. And if Jesus can raise Lazarus today, he can raise us in the future. Jesus is proclaiming that death is not the end of the story. That death is not the end of the story. In Jesus, there's life. Life is a major theme in the book of John. He mentions it 36 times, verses 17 times in the other Gospels. If you look at 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5, it says this. For we know that when, when this earthly tent that we live in is taken away, this, this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. 
an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. Some of us, we've grown inside this morning. Our bodies creak, and they ache, and they hurt, and they have different problems. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. As a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. See, death is not the end. Death is not reincarnation. It's not evaporation. It's not that we've just become nothing. Death is a trade-in. We trade in this tent for a new heavenly body. Death is not the end of the story. Now, some of you, you, you might ask, well, Ronnie, if death is not the end of the story, is it wrong to grieve? Well, I mentioned earlier, we grieve because we love. We grieve because we love. We see that Jesus grieved and he wept. We see several people throughout scripture that grieved. We see that Jesus was angry at death when he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. He's angry. Death has a sting. Death hurts. It's painful. But why we grieve as believers, we grieve with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back him, the believers who have died. See, it's healthy for us to grieve. We all need to grieve, whatever that looks like for you. We all need to spend time grieving. We don't have to bottle it up. But we can grieve. It's healthy to grieve. But we want to grieve with hope. And something that I've realized in the midst of grief is often we're not only grieving the person that's no longer with us, but we're grieving because our life has changed forever. That, that person is no longer in our life, and that hurts, and that brings us pain. For many, many uh, people have passed away or have died uh, since I've been here at Castle Hills. And I miss them. I grieve for them. My life has changed. I, I, I think about Kirk Kirkpatrick. Uh, I think about David Brown. Uh, I think about J.C. Henderson. There's just been a lot of people that I've spent time with over the years. And man, my heart hurts like Carmina Villa. I, I grieve and my heart hurts. But I grieve with hope because I know I'm going to see them again. And so, yes, grieve, but let's grieve with hope. Well, some of you might say, well, Ronnie, how can we grieve with hope when that loved one or that friend doesn't know Christ? And I think that's a great question. It's, it's one thing if we know the person knew Christ, but what if they didn't know Christ? Or at least we didn't see the fruit. Well, a couple ways to kind of think about this is ultimately we're not the judge. God is the judge. God sees their heart. He knows what's going on. And often what I pray is, even though I may have not seen the fruit, maybe something took place before they died. Maybe their heart was softened, and maybe they accepted the grace and the mercy of Christ. And so I still have hope. I still have hope that even those that may have not shown fruit, may have not had a relationship with Christ as far as I personally know, that there's still hope that maybe they accepted uh, Jesus' gracious gift of grace and mercy. 
I'm reminded of a story of Paul Azinger. Uh, he's a golfer, uh, played on the PGA Tour. I think he's a commentator now. Uh, he won a lot of tournaments. I think he even won the PGA Championship. And at the age of 33, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he writes that uh, he had fear that overcame him when he found out. He said, I, I could die from cancer. And he said, I was very fearful. He said, then another reality hit me. He said, I'm going to die eventually anyway from cancer or something else. And I'm definitely going to die. The question is when? And then he said, but everything I've accomplished in golf was meaningless. All I wanted to do was live. And then he said, I remember something that Larry Moody, who actually taught a Bible study uh, on the pro tour, he said, Zinger, we're not in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying, trying to get to the land of the living. And I, I think that's what we have to keep in mind. We're in the land of the dying, trying to get to the land of the living. Death gets us to the land of the living. Death gets us to be in the presence of God. And so today, I want to give you just a couple of next steps to think about. A couple of things to, to, to reflect on. One, I want you to think about how does Jesus' resurrection and life, how does that change your view of death? Are you still afraid of death? What do you not understand about death? What can you take to Jesus and help him process or help you process death? And then secondly, would you pray this week for someone every day who's grieving? Check in with them, encourage them. Often we're great about reaching out to people right after a death. But are you willing to reach out to someone who's grieving six weeks, six months, a year after someone passes away? As I mentioned in the beginning, we're a family. And as a family, we want to reach out and love each other.